So what would Jesus say to us? That's what we're going to be thinking about for the next uh, six weeks or so. Uh, the world has changed a lot in the last uh, 2,100 years. You haven't noticed uh, where you've been. Uh, just think about it. Uh, there were no... Well, things have changed a lot. There were no cell phones. How many of you remember when you were uh, younger, there were no cell phones? Party lines. Some of you remember party lines, and that didn't mean you were having a party. That just meant everybody could listen to what was going on in your life. That's what that meant. I know, because we lived in an area that had those uh, long after we thought they were gone. Uh, the world has made massive shifts even in the last hundred years, and then these last two or, or years or so have been just like uh, di dizzy, chaos, uh, making us dizzy with as much uh, change as there's been going on. Um, so would Jesus, if Jesus were to come here now, like he came 2,000 years ago, uh, would Jesus say to us the same things? Now, first of all, he would probably give us different parables. Uh, we're not like an agricultural culture. So he might tell different parables than like the parable of the sower and, and the mustard seed. He might tell, I don't know how he'd do it, but he might tell us parables of a factory. Yeah, he's creative. I don't know how he'd do that. He might talk about how cars work. I don't know. But I, I'm pretty sure there'll be some differences, but I'm not going to try to tell Jesus' parables different, okay, just so you know. Uh, would, the question I'm asking is, would he teach the same principles? And so I'm inviting you to find out with me uh, for us to find out together, to look at the principles that Jesus taught 2,000 years ago and how they fit with where we are in the 21st century. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15. If you can find Matthew chapter 15, you don't need to worry about finding the verses because we're starting right at the beginning. <laughs> Matthew chapter 15, we're starting at the very beginning. Uh, I'm going to tell you what's happening at the end of chapter 14 because uh, chapter 15 starts with the word then. Uh, it's, it's like whoever put in, okay, in case you didn't know this, I want to, and for everybody who does know it, I just want to remind you, the chapters, numbers, and the verse numbers, a monk put those in in the Middle Ages. Matthew wasn't writing the writing down the story and his history of Jesus' life and going chapter one, verse one. Verse two, verse three. Well, that looks like enough. Chapter two, verse one. Matthew didn't do that. It happened like several hundred years later that people are going, you know, it's a whole lot easier if we could find things in the middle of this scroll if we had numbers on stuff. We could address them. And sometimes I go, 
why did you put the number right there? So this is one of those times. It's right in the middle of something. He's telling a story, and then he goes, chapter 15. Then. What do you mean, then? So we have to look at the end of chapter 14. What's going on at the end of chapter 14? Let's listen. It's kind of normal for Jesus' life. Jesus and his disciples had crossed the Sea of Galilee, a little sea that's at the north end of uh, Israel, Palestine. Uh, it's a lake, actually, for us. It's not, not even a great lake. It's a lake. Uh, a look, not a real big lake for us. But they call it the Sea of Galilee because it's a desert over there. They're not used to lots of water. So it looks like a sea of Galilee right there. And, and they came to the land of Gennesaret, which is another name for Galilee. They're south of the city of Capernaum. And when the people there recognized him, when they recognized Jesus, when they saw who he was, they sent word into all the surrounding area and they brought all their sick to him and they begged him if they could only touch the edge of his cloak uh, and everybody who did was healed. So Jesus is having this massive healing service. And, and he's not doing anything except letting people walk by and touch his clothes. Or maybe he's walking through the crowd. And, and, but that's what Jesus is doing. All these sick people have come from all over the area and they're touching his clothes and they're being healed. Then, Then something's about to happen. Matthew says, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law. We should probably talk about who these people are so we understand who the characters are. Pharisees were members of one of the biggest and most influential religious political parties in Israel at the time. So Israel as a nation was a religious political group. It, they were both religious and political. We have separation of church and state. They did not. They were both religious and political together, and the Pharisees were one of the largest and most influential. That didn't mean a whole lot except because they were occupied by the Roman Empire. So it's not like they had a whole lot of voice and say in what was going on, but except for their people really weren't uh, impressed by them. They were very strict and they were zealous activists for the Old Testament laws. Um, basically, their, their thinking was, if we don't get this right, if we don't follow the rules from what the Old Testament says and what the rabbis have taught us about what the Old Testament says, and we don't obey these rules, worse things in Roman occupation are going to happen to us. Um, and then they brought along with them teachers of law. These were experts in the laws of Moses and the traditional Jewish laws and regulations. So essentially, Matthew is saying to us, the members of the Law and Order Party and some law professors showed up while Jesus was healing people. The legalistic people showed up. Nothing wrong with lawyers, as long as they're your friends. 
I made me smile. Some of the rest of you are just looking at me. Uh, okay, so some Pharisees. Then there's healing service going on. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why are you healing all these people? No, that's not what they said. How are you healing all these people? No, that's not what they said. Listen to what they said. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, just to pause for a moment, they're not worried about passing COVID germs or any other kind of germs. This was a religious ceremony that they had been taught to do before they ate to make sure that when they were out around in the world, they didn't pick up something unclean. Pour water over your hands and say things. And you know, they had a particular ceremony they did. And they noticed that all of Jesus' disciples just grabbed food and stuck it in their face. And that really bothered them because, you know, if we don't obey the rules, bad things might happen to us. Well, that was a hint of trouble. You have law professors and legal experts showing up at a healing service asking about obedience to rules and trouble shows up because they asked Jesus this question and Jesus responds by saying, oh, and why do you break? So they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And Jesus responds by saying, and why do you break the command of God? For the sake of your tradition. For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say... That if anyone declares that what they might have been might have what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. I'm going to pause for a minute. It, this what he's talking about is what you would have willed to your parents if something were to happen to you in your if something in your estate. So in your estate, if you you know I've got to take care. of Take care of my parents. There's no Social Security. There's no Medicare. There's a, that, so it's my responsibility to take care of my parents. But if something happens to me and I die before my parents, I'm supposed to make sure they're taken care of. But there's a loophole. According to these people, these lawyers and legal people, I can say this that I would have given to you, I'm going to give to you. God's temple when I die. So you can't have any of it. However, in the meantime, I can use it any way I please. You see why Jesus was a little upset with them? They were robbing mom and dad after God said, take care of them. And he says, 
So you nullify, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Oh, but Jesus isn't satisfied with just confronting them. He calls the whole crowd around. All these people are there to be healed. He says, well, this is a great time to teach people too. He goes, hey, everybody, listen. Before you go home with your nice new health, listen to this. Listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, I love this question, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard that? In other words, Jesus, do you realize you just ticked off the largest party in the land? Don't you know you're going to need their support when you take over? You don't want to upset the Pharisees. And here's Jesus' response. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. If that's not clear enough, he says, leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. In other words, Jesus says, I don't need their support. They're not on God's team. <clears throat> Now, can you imagine, just for a moment with me, put yourself back in the disciples' place. Can you imagine how confused the disciples must have been? I mean, these are the guys who are always telling us to obey God or bad things are going to happen to us. And he just said that one of the biggest and most influential religious political parties in our nation wasn't on God's side. And so the disciples are probably beginning to wonder, how do we know who's on God's side and who isn't? How do we know who is on God's side and who isn't? Well, the interesting thing is, that's the same question the Pharisees were asking. See, the Pharisees and the experts in the law were asking Jesus, how can you and your disciples be on God's side when you don't wash your hands before you eat. I've been, I've observed a disturbing trend in the people who call themselves Christians. Uh, I've watched this for, for, I'm an old man now. I mean, I'll, 
I have white hair for and gray hair for those who are watching and aren't quite sure what color it is on your whatever you're watching on your screen. If you don't have real true color, this is gray, almost white. Uh, in, in here, I'm still in my like 20s and 30s. Uh, the rest of me is not. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> I'm living proof that aches and pains prove that you're still alive. Uh, but here, here's, I've been observing things. And I, so I've started to think, I've watched this, and, my, and I've done some reading and I've done some research and I've seen people that were writing about this kind of, these kinds of things clear back in the 40s and the 50s before I was born, for anybody who's... You know, just in case you were wondering how old is this guy, it was before I was born uh, that this this process, this this trend began. Uh, this trend began before I was born, but it's been gaining momentum over the years. It's becoming more and more uh, vocal and louder and louder. We Christians have been asking the Pharisees questions. Who's on the inside and who's on the outside? Who, or how do we know who's on God's side and who isn't? Uh, don't start going, yeah, I know those people over there. It's, it's Protestants and Catholics and Orthodox, the, the Orthodox branches of, of the church want to know. The conservatives and progressives and liberals or whatever you want to call them ask this question. The mainline groups and the evangelicals wonder this. The, the uh, denominational congregations and the independent non-denominational fundamentalist Bible-believing whatevers also want to know. Uh, they all pose these questions. How do we know who's on God's side and who isn't? And they focus on the boundaries around who's Christian and who isn't, who's following Jesus and who isn't. And so there's some Christians who are really focused on fortifying the walls. We got to build these walls up to keep the people out. What people? Well, those people. It depends on which group you're talking to, okay? Uh, sometimes those people are other Christians. It's amazing to me. Uh, uh, don't get me started. Don't go down that road. Okay, I won't go down that road. See, then, but then there are other people who want to tear down the wall so everybody can get in. But here's the deal. We're asking this question. How do you know who's in, who's on God's side, and who isn't? Who's... And I've been asking this for a long time. I'm glad to see other people have started asking it. It's either because uh, I'm right or, you know, well, I don't know if I'm right. But, uh, but what if we're asking the wrong question? I mean, it bothers me that it's the Pharisees who ask this question. Because I don't see Jesus asking this question. Right? So if this is a Pharisee's question, what if Jesus would call us blind guides? What if we're blind guides when we ask who's on God's side and who isn't? 
Matthew 15, 15. I love Peter. Peter is always the first one to talk. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes he gets himself in trouble. Uh, this time it's helpful. Peter says, explain the parable to us. Although I'm pretty sure Jesus was going, what parable? I thought it was really plain, simple, but Jesus, he's going, Jesus, what on earth do you mean? And I, I want to say thank you, Peter, because now you're getting, Jesus now has to make it even plainer than he already has. And we get some help and we learn something. So, and I love Jesus' response. Are you still so dull? Look, if you look, it's right there. I did. That's not. That's not the Haynes paraphrase. That's not Mark reading through between the lines. Jesus looked at his disciples and goes, "Are you still dull? What is wrong now? Now I'm reading between the lines. What is wrong with you? Listen." Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? Okay, let me help you with this. I remember as a young father feeding our baby reluctantly because I knew I'd need to change her diaper later. What goes in must come out. This is why Jesus is going, are you still so dull? I, I wish he had gone, have none of you ever changed a diaper? Go talk to your wives. <laughs> it goes in the mouth, it comes out the other end. And if they're babies, you've got to clean it up. It ain't pretty. <laughs> no, no, you're right. It ain't pretty. Whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these things defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, these are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. It's like Jesus is saying, you can wash your hands all day long. But if Bad things come out of your mouth. I had to edit. If bad things come out of your mouth, it's because there's bad stuff in your heart. And that's the problem. And this, this thing about our hearts is a theme in Jesus' teaching and his preaching. He talks about our hearts and minds spewing out whatever is in them. And he talks about our hearts are filled with selfishness and a desire to rule ourselves, to, to be in charge and, and to have our way every day, all the time. To have our way all day, every day. For example, in, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, 
How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. Another place he says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. How do we know who's on God's side and who isn't? Well, I'm pretty sure Jesus would tell us and keeping a list of rules won't do it. In fact, Jesus tells us that change starts on the inside. It's not a matter of controlling our behavior, modifying our behavior, managing our behavior. Change starts on the inside because laws and rules never create true transformation. In fact, that's my sermon for this in a sentence. I want you to understand this. Laws never create true transformation. That doesn't mean laws are useless. It just means if we're really looking to see people changed and we're looking to laws to do it, we're looking in the wrong place. Laws, traditions, and rules cannot change a person's heart and thinking. So what hope do we have? Well, what if, I want to make a suggestion here, I want you to think about this. What if we turn from focusing on the boundaries, either trying to tear them down or build them up, and fighting with each other over whether we should be fight, building them up or tearing them down. What if we turn from work, the boundaries, this focus on the, the boundaries, and start looking at the center, the middle? What, what if instead of asking who's in and who's out, we discover who's in the middle and the center of it? And I'm going to read a sentence to you, so you, I, I'm going to introduce you to who is in the center. Some of you already know who's in the center, but I'm going to tell you or remind you. According to God's message to us, at the center of all that exists, now and before of ever, so everything that ever was, is, or will be, at the center of all of that, whether seen or unseen, is the embodied person, visible and incarnate, glorified, resurrected, ascended, Savior, the Lord of heaven and earth, whose name is Jesus. Amen. He's the center. And he's the only one that deserves our attention. You see, the big question we have to reckon with is this one. Will we understand who's on God's side as a centered community or as a bounded community? Are we going to worry about who's moving toward Jesus or are we going to move, 
try to worry about who we can keep in and who we can keep out. Will we focus our attention on the center or on the circumference, on the edges? There, there is a great deal of fear. This is what I've been observing. There's a great deal of fear and anxiety about determining and protecting the boundaries. It's as if, if we don't nail down these boundaries, if we don't get this, we're going to somehow lose the center. We're going to, if we don't keep the boundaries right, we're going to lose Jesus. Can I say that again? Because this is the way we're thinking, and I'm pretty sure I know what Jesus would say to us. And I'll tell you what I think he's going to say. <clears throat> we are worried about the boundaries because we think if we lose the boundaries, we're going to lose Jesus. And I think Jesus is going to look at us and say the same thing that he said to Peter. Are you still so dull? You don't need your hope. They killed me and I came back. You can't get rid of me. You can't lose me. I am now and always will be and always have been the center of everything. And what you think are boundaries, don't keep me in. You can't lose. Go look at the, some, the people who came to Jesus and the, the reason the Pharisees, and the, the teachers of the law, the, these experts in the law, why they were so upset. Beginning of Luke chapter 15. They are all upset. Luke chapter 15. That's Luke's story. Same chapter number 15. They're all upset because Jesus is eating with tax collectors and prostitutes. In case you're wondering... The word for prostitute means the same thing in the 21st century as it did 2,000 years ago. What? Yeah. And those were the people who were coming toward the center. Those were the people in Israel who were coming toward Jesus, and it was the experts in obeying God's law who were trying to go, no, 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 no. You're, you're the problem in this country. You get no, 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 no. And how on earth can you be from God if you hang out with these people? place Jesus said to these very people the tax collectors and the prostitutes are getting into the kingdom before you because they're following me and you're not amen you're all worried about the rules 
And I'm telling you, if you're worried about rules, whether it's taking them down or building them up, I don't, you're focused on the wrong thing. Jesus is where we ought to be focused. You see, if we lose the boundaries, we're not going to lose Jesus. In fact, the opposite is true. If we, if we fix our gaze on Jesus and we encourage the people around us to fix their gaze on Jesus, the boundaries are taken care of by Jesus and his Holy Spirit. And we don't have to worry about who's in and who's out because we're all following him. Some people may look like they're closer. Some people may look like they're further away. But we won't know for sure It's not our job. Because the real question is, how do I know if I'm on God's side or not? And I would say, what are you looking at? Who are you looking at? If you aren't looking at Jesus, if you're looking at anybody but Jesus, you've got a problem. If I'm looking at anybody but Jesus, I've got a problem. But if we're focused on anything besides Jesus, then the boundaries be confused and they become irrelevant and they become a distraction and they, people stop. Do you know how I know the boundaries have become a distraction? The people in our society have become equally concerned with boundaries. And they do this kind of thing. Oh, we like Jesus. But we're going to tear down your boundaries. Look, if you know Jesus, you know you got two options. You either love him and follow him, or you fight against him. You don't, you don't have two choices to like him. You know, I grew up with the Doobie Brothers singing, Jesus is just all right with me. At first, I thought that was a cool song, and then I started listening and thinking, wait a minute, Jesus is just all right. You don't really know who he is. No doubt there. Because he's way more than all right. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the majestic, all-powerful. One who loves us like nobody else no matter how we respond to him. <clears throat> we can focus our energy, you know, that's the question, will we focus our energy on a shared pursuit of Jesus and fix or fix our attention on all these distractions on the edge? I'm asking, and I think we need to call ourselves and our church and our and every Christian that we can ever find and every everybody else, we need to call everybody to just a crystallized, Christ-centered focus. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. He didn't say, when you get the boundaries really good, people are going to come to me. He didn't say that. There's a good reason he said, didn't say that. 
What he said was, when you lift me up. Now, part of that was with the crucifixion. But part of that, and we tell people, this is a God who became one of us so that he could show us his love. He's got the kind of love that will die for you. This is the kind of God we're talking about. A God who loves you enough to die for you. And then come back because, well, you can't keep a good man down. That's true. I should change that. You can't keep a God man down. It's time for us to give everything we have to lifting up the one who chose us. And here's the secret. I don't think it's a secret. Here's the thing we've forgotten. If you clarify the center, the center, if you clarify Jesus, Jesus will gently and graciously form the circumference, the boundary. The conversations will cease to become about who's in the circle and who's outside of it. But it'll be about, hey, let's move toward Jesus. And how can we encourage and embrace people, whether they're moving toward him or away from him? How can we love them like he does? It's time for us to stop asking, how are we going to know who's on God's side and who isn't? It's time to stop asking that question. It's the wrong question. The question I believe that pleases Jesus is the, this one. How can I help everybody in my family, in my sphere of life and influence find Jesus? <clears throat> how can I help them know how awesome Jesus is? That's one of my favorite authors, J.D. Wolf, who I quote often. Some of you have recognized that. He says, this has no hope of happening through me unless Jesus becomes the defining center of my life. <clears throat> Not just a theory about Jesus as the center of the universe and everything else that exists. He has to become the center of me and my life. See, we're not transformed by managing our behavior. Our hearts are not changed from the outside in. Our hearts and minds are transformed by Jesus as we give our lives to him. In his letter to the first century Jesus followers in the city of Rome, the apostle Paul detailed our problem and God's solution this way. He's describing in the first chapter the what I call the slippery slope of human the human races slide into sin so they didn't think it was important to know God so God let them continue to have evil thoughts they did things they shouldn't do they are full of every kind of sin evil and ungodliness that sounds kind of like Jesus description of hearts if you're not sure go back and check Matthew 15. Who, who is Paul describing? Who are they? Are they some kind of group outside of the church? 
Are they outside the boundaries? Not at all. Chapter 3, he explained it to us clear, clearly. Everyone. Everyone is under the power of sin. It is written, no one is right with God. No one at all. No one understands. No one trusts in God. All of them have turned away. They have all become worthless. No one does anything good. No one at all. Everyone is sin. No one measures up to God's glory. Is there any... It, let me make sure that you understand this. We're messed up. Not them. We. <clears throat> us. All of us need to go to the cross. Not those people. You need to go stand by those people at the cross. Every human being has a warped heart and mind. You and I are filled full of every kind of sin, evil, and ungodliness. That's our problem. Our hearts and minds are filled with every kind of sin, and evil, and ungodliness. But Jesus can solve that problem. He can change that. Paul tells you about it in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, to give your lives to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, by changing your heart and mind. Then you will know how know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Transformed. I want you to take for a moment, take a, think for a moment. Uh, and most of us have had opportunity to think about or see butterflies and moths crawl out of a cocoon of some sort. We've all seen caterpillars going into the cocoon and butterflies and moths coming out. That's not that, that, that metamorphosis. I know I put a couple extra syllables in there. That's the word that we're talking about for transformed. Being renewed. Let God turn you from a worm into a butterfly. We belong to God's people only because and to the extent that we have chosen to focus our attention on Jesus the Messiah, period. We belong to God's people only because and to the extent we have chosen to focus our attention and our lives on Jesus the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, period. Full stop. That's it. We have surrendered our broken past to him and trusted our eternal future to him and pledged our ever-present love and loyalty to him. That's what it means to give ourselves to him and allow him to begin to change us. It is time for us to give everything we have to lifting up the one who chose us. It is time to focus on Jesus and to point everyone to him. The other stuff is distraction. It's 
Don't be distracted. Focus on Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. You are the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You are the center of everything that was, is, and ever will be. And I want to live in a way that people are drawn to you. I want to speak and act and relate to people like you would so that it draws them to you. I want to live such a life of hospitality and kindness and respect and goodness and generosity that people come to be in awe of our Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, would you push out the self-rule in me with the rule of my King, Jesus? Would you fulfill me, fill me with so much of God's love that I just stop thinking about myself? I want Jesus' other-focused nature so my desires are anchored in God and expanding his kingdom. Turn this caterpillar into a butterfly for Jesus' sake. Amen. Those of you who are online, I want to thank you for uh, connecting with us this morning and uh, whenever you are connecting with us. Um, if you uh, haven't already, I want to invite you to join our Champions of Hope Facebook group. Uh, there's a link in the description. Please feel free to use that. You're going to find some unique contact there, content, as well as ways to connect with people who are infusing others with the hope of Jesus as well. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. We've been called, we've been anointed, we've been given a task. <laughs> We go carrying good news to the world, news about freedom from oppression and healing for the afflicted. The time, the time of the Lord's favor is now. You are sent. Go with Jesus.